Welcome to the Peace Catalyst podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I'm Program Director with Peace Catalyst International here in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. Yes, I am Keith Giles, and my wife, Wendy, and I work with Peace Catalyst in El Paso, Texas, uh, working to bring Muslims and Christians together uh, in peacemaking efforts. And today's episode is continuing our new series on interviewing Christian peacemakers and learning from them the different ways that they bring peace in their communities uh, and things that we can learn from them about being better peacemakers as well. Um, We also have been doing something that I'm really excited about, which is a a peace quote of the week. And uh, this time I've got one that I'd like to share. That's all right. Um, It's one that I think a lot of Christians are not aware of, but, um, you know, there's a guy named Charles Spurgeon who I think a whole, many Christians really look up to Charles Spurgeon or really have been blessed by his teaching um, and, and speaking and writing and those kinds of things. And, um, of course, he was around in the 1800s. Um, but uh, there's a really awesome quote from Charles Spurgeon, and it's not very well known, but I, I wanted to share it as our Peace Quote of the Week. And, and um, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, We are up to the hilt advocates for peace, and we earnestly war against war. I wish that Christian men would insist more and more on the unrighteousness of war, believing that Christianity means no sword, no cannon, no bloodshed, and that if a nation is driven to fight in its own defense, Christianity stands by to weep and to intervene as soon as possible, and not to join in the cruel shouts which celebrate an enemy's slaughter. Today, then, my brethren, I beg you to join with me in seeking renewal. Yeah, so I, I just love that. It's such an unmistakable, such a strong, you know, anti-war, anti-violence uh, statement from someone like Charles Spurgeon. And it, I think it helps, for me, what I love about it is that it helps to reframe Christianity in um you know, in the stream of nonviolence, as he says in this quote, we stand by to weep and we stand by to intervene uh, to bring reconciliation. So, uh, yeah, I just, I love that quote. Yeah, that's so good. And I love that line that says not to join in the cruel shouts, which celebrate an enemy's slaughter, because if Jesus calls us to forgive and love our enemies, then um, I think, yeah, shouting and celebration at the the slaughter of our enemies would be against what Jesus would want. So (laughs) it's my understanding. I I kind of feel the same way. Yes. This whole idea, you know, that, um, and I think it's, you know, it's important for us, especially in this series that we're doing. And it's certainly for the conversation we're about to have um, with our, our guest, you know, this realization of Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, to recognize that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Uh, he really is. You know, it's, uh, I've talked to atheists who say, you know, they totally get, yeah, Jesus was not about that, right? Jesus was the guy who said, love your enemies and turn the other cheek, you know. And even people like Gandhi, mm-hmm. uh, who would who would not identify himself as a Christian, yet read the Sermon on the Mount every day, you know, the last part of his life uh, on a daily basis, wow. and was so inspired by Jesus' nonviolent, enemy-loving ethic that it changed the way he, you know, approached things. So 
And so really that's kind of, I think, the missing piece. We, we have to decide, because we understand that this is who Jesus is, and this is what he commanded, and this is what he modeled, that we are also um, going to be ambassadors of peace, right? We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Um, and it's not just spiritual, it's, it's literal, right? We're, we're called to be peacemakers. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just excited about, that's why I love Peace Catalyst. That's why I'm excited about this podcast series we're doing. Um, hopefully, the more we get to have these conversations, the more we get to help Christians really begin to see that this is who Jesus is and this is who we should be. I think that's what our guest today does really well. Um, this week, we're interviewing a Palestinian Christian named Salim Munayer, who is living in Jerusalem, and he is the founding director of Musalaha, which is a faith-based organization that facilitates reconciliation, mainly between Palestinians and Israelis from diverse ethnic and religious backgrounds, based on biblical principles. Salim, you're someone that I I initially came across you in the uh, documentary with God on Our Side, uh, excellent documentary by Porter Speakman. And through him, I got in contact with you, uh, was also really blessed to see you speak uh, at someone's home in Mission Viejo, California several years ago. And I I just really love your story. And I'm very blessed that you are able to join us here on the Peace Catalyst podcast and share a little bit of that with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Salim, tell us a little bit about yourself for those of you who are, are familiar with you and, and the work that you do. Um, yes, my name is Salim and I'm a Palestinian Christian and Israeli citizen. Um, Palestinian Christian are Christians that uh, remain in the land, most of them, from the time of Jesus. And, of course, being affected by different cultures, societies. The Christian in the land, the follower of Jesus uh, in the Holy Land, in Palestine, Israel today, coming from mainly three uh, area uh, groups, uh, Jewish, uh, Arab, and uh, other people, because uh, uh, Palestine, it was like, uh, it's like California, like a bridge between different states. So family lived uh, for centuries in the land, in the city of uh, St. George, or uh, that Lida is the one on the riding the horse, killing the dragon. It's a very important saint for the people in the Middle East and Europe, too. And they were able to keep their faith. They were able to maintain their identity as Christian and witness in the land. Of course, they were at that time uh, what we call in English Greek Orthodox, but in the Middle East we call Rome Orthodox, Orthodox, Orthodoxy. And the family in uh, 1948 experienced uh, the war, and it, part of that war is an uh, atrocity that been committed uh, against my hometown, where uh, by the Israeli forces at that time, part of what called Plan D, uh, every area they conquer, they move the people out. But my father and uh, his family found refuge in the church, of St. George, my grand-grandfather uh, built, and they were able to stay in the city, but they became refugees in their own hometown. And that's what uh, we Palestinians called the catastrophe in Nakba. 
And the makeup of the city have changed to multi-Jewish uh, groups uh, and uh, Palestinian Christian Muslims that stay there. So I uh, grew up in that context of multi-religious, multi-ethnic languages. But not only that, uh, the city uh, still have the scar of the ongoing conflict and what's happened that is not been uh, dealt with. And so I went to Christian school. I went to school, most kids Muslim. Then I went to Jewish high school. And in Jewish high school, uh, learning about Judaism, about the history of the Jewish people, especially as related to the mistreatment and awful experience that Jews had in Europe with anti-Semitism and Holocaust and all of that. As today, it is Holocaust Memorial here. Uh, so that that's part of your identity has been challenged uh, by your fellow students because they say you're Christian and they equate me with European Christian and you question your faith, you question your history. And through that questioning, I ended up in a Bible study. And in that Bible study that was run by a group of Jews and Palestinian, uh, we were really 18 years old, asking all kinds of questions. But this is where I encountered Jesus again. Because I was asking a lot of questions about myself, about the conflict, but more than anything, I asked how that relate to the fact uh, that I am a Christian and what that's mean in my relationship with the Israeli Jews and what it's mean in my relationship also to the Palestinian Muslim and especially to the land and to be a witness in the land. So at that time, I was studying Tel Aviv University. I got involved uh, at that time. In, study, in establishing uh, one of the first Bible study at Tel Aviv University, and then a growing movement of many Jews at that time, especially in the mid-70s, um, um, uh, really asking questions and finding Jesus that later, they used to call themselves Jewish Christian, then later majority of them called themselves Messianic Jews. So. Uh, here I am, speak Hebrew, part of the Israeli culture, Palestinian, finding myself with Messianic Jewish congregation. And of course, the narrative, the history, the conflict, and everything is there. And especially how my Christian phrase relate to all those issues and, and what we talk about that. I ended up uh, just doing it very quickly um, after my graduation I decided to study uh, Bible and to be trained for the ministry. And I ended up in California, uh, graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary and studied also Pepperdine at that time and came back into the land and everything changed. The enmity, the conflict in order to teach Israeli in Tel Aviv, Jaffa area and Palestinian Bethlehem. Traveling between the places, the one-hour drive, different worlds, different reality, different perspective. Uh, not only how people live, different perspective to the Bible about Jesus and what we should be involved in doing in that situation. Wow. That's so powerful. And Salim, it's so wonderful to hear your story. Um, I think I might have actually visited that church that you were referring to where the Palestinian people from the town came back and um, sought refuge in that church. Is that right? Uh, that probably you're talking about Ikrit and Biram in Galilee. Okay. 
Uh, yes. Yes. That and then later they told them to leave. Uh, it's a very famous story. Uh, Elias Shakur wrote a book uh, called Blood Brothers, and he tells the story how they've been told to leave uh, the the village for a short time. Then they were prevented from coming back. Then the uh, Israeli Air Force, Force come and bombed the, the village so people could not go back to their homes. It, it's very well documented, all what I'm saying in many, many books. But mm-hmm. sadly to say, when I go to the state, many Christians are not aware of that part of history. Right, hmm. right. Wow, thank you for sharing that. And um, I wonder if you can tell us about the work that you do with Musalaha. And if you could also explain the name, the meaning behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was telling you, I was traveling between Tel Aviv and Jaffa. It's a port city. It's beach and beautiful beach. And uh, Tel Aviv, Israeli Jews are more secular, more westernized. And going to Bethlehem, and it's more conservative. It's Palestinian city and under occupation. And, and, and you know, you, what you do with it? And, and more than anything else is your students uh, present before you with a challenge. You know, you, you go to seminary and you come back and you think, oh, I'm coming to change the world. I studied three, four years. I know it. I'm coming. I'm going to do. And suddenly you come there to, uh, uh, to teach young people and they ask you questions that you don't know how to answer. They, they don't train you in systematic theology like, what do you do uh, when somebody comes to take your land? Do you demonstrate or don't demonstrate? Do you throw stone or don't throw? Don't throw stone. That was the biggest question. Should we throw stones or not? Should we go to demonstration? Um, uh, what do we do with the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament? Talk about Israel. Is Israel in the Bible the same Israel of today? Is the Jewish people in the Bible the same Jewish people today? How we deal with the book of Joshua? And more than anything else, how you deal with your brothers and sisters that come from the West, especially uh, uh, what we call uh, Christian Zionists, coming so excited to the land. And they say, hey, there is a fulfillment of prophecy. What are you talking about? Which prophecy? And, and you, you say you say to them, everything that's hurt, happening here, it's hurting our Christian community. And there are Christians in the land. Uh, not only Muslims, you know, so they're puzzled. So they question your Christianity. If you're not really true Christian, you know, you're from the Eastern Christians. Uh, <laughs> have you been born again? Did you have have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And if you did that, do you accept God's plan? So you come to term and saying, hey, just a minute. You want to say that we uh, as Palestinian Christian lived in centuries in the land. We're an obstacle for second coming of Jesus and the redemption of the world just because we live there and we are not making room for other people, especially as their theology said, the Jewish people need to come rebuild the temple. And you start in seminary, they didn't teach us about end time theology as such, at least in my seminary. So what you do with the students, how you understand, how you help them. And dealing with all of that came then the issue of about whose land is. And, and most the books on theology of the land started after the 60s, this kind of new uh, area of exploration in, in, in theology. And 
it's so overwhelming. Then my Jewish students asking me what the Palestinian students think, and the Palestinian students ask me what the Jewish students think. So I tell them, and they don't like my answer. I said, hey, just a minute. I'm just the messenger, just telling you what they say. Why don't you meet with them? So they met with each other. And well, at that time, this group were Palestinian Christian and Israeli Jewish Messianic. And they have common faith in Jesus. And the assumption is because you believe in Jesus, you're a peacemaker, you have unity, and you can get along. Wrong. Disaster. <laughs> conflict. Pain. Shouting. Screaming on each other. Then you ask yourself, you know, in Jerusalem, Jesus has been crucified and is risen. He reconciled the world uh, to God and reconciled us to each other and he formed a new community of the people of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talked about what God did to us and he gave us a ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. And we are his ambassador. We say in Arabic, nothing, nada. We're not doing it. We are joining our ethnic group. And this is where I decided to, after several attempts to failure, say we need to have something to address that theologically and also practically. And Musalha mean reconciliation has the same, in Arabic, had the same root in Hebrew, forgiveness. So we brought the, uh, I brought a group of Israeli and Palestinian leaders to say, we disagree almost on everything. Can we agree that Jesus is our Lord? And he called us to reconcile, love God, love neighbor, love enemy. Simple, is that right? Hard to do. And let's start with the believing community, then move to the lesser society. Right? Because our aim and vision from the beginning is to start with the faith community and to be reconciling, peacemaking uh, to in the larger society. That was uh, our aim from the beginning. Wow, that is so beautiful. So... What are some of the ways that you do this? Because you, uh, I, I, I can't even imagine as an American Christian, kind of like what you're talking about, being a, a Palestinian Christian, living in this very divided land where it's Muslims and Jews and Christians. Um, there is this conflict. There is this division. There's this misunderstandings of one another, not understanding each other's perspectives on things. And, and so what are some of the things that you do to try to bring Muslims and Christians and Jewish people together um, towards this path of reconciliation and peace. What, what are the methods? What are the what are the strategies? How do you accomplish this? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, our question, our issues is is not Muslim Christians and Jews. It's our issues. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict is started as ethnic nationalist conflict between the Palestinian uh, that they were. Uh, Palestinian Christian, Palestinian Muslim, and very small Jewish community before nationalism came in, and was uh, basically with Zionism, that in the beginning it started as a national conflict, now it's becoming also with religious conflict, that's mean yeah. ethno-religious conflict and theology, because uh, there are many Muslim states that have peace with Israel, uh, they have good relationship with, we're talking about the the Gulf state, uh, they be talking about the long-standing peace with Turkey. They don't like each other, but they, so to say it's Muslim, Christian, and Jews, this is really wrong. It's 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 right. It's wrong to present it as such. Uh, that this conflict is a religious conflict. Religious plays important role. So so to to 
to put it like we, the Christians and Jews against the Muslim, that narrative is it's not factual, it's not historical, and not in reality. Anyone can, uh, at least the one to want to understand, will understand that. The, the other aspect of it, the most important aspect of it, is we, uh, we came to the conclusion the way things is being done are not working well. It's failure. And, and uh, one side is interreligious dialogue. It is very Western. It's very white. And it is, uh, it is uh, also, to a certain degree, racist uh, that exists. And doesn't really deal with the situation. It deal with like let's talk about what fire mean for Christian Muslims and Jews. And it was in one of the meeting, but it's all, it really is not dealing with the situation of people. And and I know I'm offending some people here, but because there is also place for interreligious dialogue, I do believe. But it was not addressing our conflict yes. and people to people conflict. Uh, building relationship is really. Uh, also was not really, uh, was uh, was not working out. So we came to, uh, with study during that time, I was doing my PhD, there are several things that is very, very important to understand. And I think uh, this is what Musalaha model that has been developed can be contribu- contributing uh, factor to, to everybody. And it's been, this model has been used globally right now. You can read about it, uh, Journeys Through the Storm, a new book that's been published uh, by the end of this last year by Lanningham uh, Trust. You can uh, put it on, uh, you can have people have a link to it. They can find yes. it in Amazon too. And, and there are, I'll try to do it very, very briefly, but it's very important. Goodwill people with good heart can do a lot of damage if they don't know how to do it. Like if I'm a father and because I think I'm a good father, if I don't know how to be trained and knowing how to raise children, I can cause more damage out of goodwill, out of good intention. So we had to identify first with what we are dealing with. So we are dealing with intractable conflict. It's a conflict between states between communities, and it's taking a long time. And during that conflict that is violent, affect all societies, people with time become more competing on their historical narrative, or we call it the ethos of the conflict. Who started the conflict? Whose fault? And, and that ethos become the biggest obstacle for a resolution, for uh, that. And then... Um, the ethos of the conflict, uh, you will find it in America in, uh, for example, the movie Exodus or the book uh, Hajj of Leon Yoris and, and many groups. Uh, and so that gives you a narrative and identity that motivate people and encourage them to sacrifice for a cause. And even so, they have not really checked it. So there are several things that we know about it. One that grassroots movement is a key for peacemaking. It will not be from top to bottom, will be from bottom up. Look and see the peace efforts being done by Oslo Agreement and other agreements, a failure of the last 40 plus years. Mm-hmm. Our politicians incapable of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Second, women are key in bringing peace. Women are change agent of society. 
80% of peace around the world, it is from uh, second, uh, what we call third and second layer of diplomacy that's made from bottom up. And of course, politicians are important in order to crystallize it in the in the beginning. But without people movement, and this is the reason Musalha is a people movement. It's not organization. It's people that have the mindset and the, the passion to see reconciliation. Another thing is it's very important that you don't have to reach everybody. You have to achieve 2 to 3% of population. So, for example, in the United States, there's not a conflict between states. There's a conflict between tribes. May I say Republican tribe, Democrat tribes. In Britain, the Brexit. Everywhere around the world, we see conflict not between state actors, between communities. The second most important thing, this is the, the most important thing, is the imbalance of power. In our, the biggest obstacle to reconciliation is that you and we attempt to have a forum for and to develop relationship and trust, where, where you can do that. And second, the same time come with it, you have to deal with issues, cannot only develop relationship and you have to deal with the issue at the same time. And our biggest question is, where can we find the forum where we can meet, develop relationship and trust and deal also with uh, the issues? In the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, in every conflict, there is a huge gap of imbalance of power between the Israeli and the Palestinian. As a result, the dynamic of reconciliation is being influenced to a huge, large degree because of that imbalance of power. Because the powerful are not interested in resolving because he doesn't want to lose his position and power. Mm-hmm. That's mean we have to uh, work toward, we have to strive, we have to resist. And if we use violence, we'll be accused that uh, by the powerful, are we just defending ourselves? And the weak, if he doesn't any do anything except the situation, uh, so uh, you are kind of passive and you cannot really deal with yourself. So in order to have liberty, uh, um, in order to have uh, reconciliation, the weak need to liberate himself and his identity from the oppression in order to reach us to the oppressed. The next point uh, is that we found the desert, and this is where we found the key. We take Israel and Palestinian to the desert, the, f- the beginning of the process of developing relationship and dealing with the issue. The desert is neutral. It's not my home, your home. The desert forces us to engage with other human beings. The desert, we are equal. And the desert also uh, uh, forces us for common goal. And this is what we call in contact hypothesis, is that you have to have equality in every level between the people. If there is no equality, it's not going to be success in the process. And we have identified six stages of reconciliation that every group that need to go through year a year have a process to really understand that. And this six uh, stages is this uh, model that we develop at Musalha. It's very unique. It's been applied in, in Europe. Uh, it's been applied in the state, in Africa, in Asia, and many countries in the Middle East. 
So next stage uh, is stage one is we call it the opening up, the hallelujah stage, the kumbaya stage. It's like the first date. The second stage is uh, opening up. People uh, vent their feeling. The third stage is withdrawal. And and this is a hard one. This is why the desert is so essential, important to 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 decrease the number of people you lose in the process. And the fourth stage is the most critical stage. We call it identity uh, uh, building up. That means you study the both each, each other historical narrative and you attempt to build a joint narrative for the Israeli and Palestinian. And the fifth stage is you take the risk again. It's like a couple have a marriage problem. They go to a counselor and the counselor said to hear both sides. And once then you, you, you look and say, hey, just a minute. They were married 10 years together. The story is so far not connected. What I'm listening to you, I mean, are you living together? You have a children, by the way, but your story is so different. So by helping each other to listen to each other and also asking them the question, what are the prices compared to restoring relationship for divorce? And in historical narrative, you, you have to bring it to the people. You say, do you want to continue with the conflict, the price and all of that? Or do you want to find a way to, de- to develop a joint narrative? Mm-hmm. Narrative that's not built 1948, 67, 73, the wars. The narrative that's built on, we're living in the same land. We have responsibility for creation, for the environment. This is a holy land, has huge, rich heritage. Uh, the beauty of the plantation in the land. The, 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 the Israeli have adopted Palestinian food, the falafel, hummus, and the salad. They call it Israeli. And Palestinians are eating bamba and schnitzel, you know. Uh, we have music. We have culture. We, we have a joint destiny in the same piece of land. And how you interpret it into clear-cut program, how people can live with each other. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, if that's too much. No, no, that's amazing. Please. So what was the sixth th- final stage? The final stage is addressing the issues. That The, the powerful side uh, is willing to admit, and of course, they're dynamic all the time because powerful weak is, is also in different area, and address, for the weak, addressing the issues. So, and there is forgiveness. The powerful side feel guilty. It's like when I was in Pasadena in 1980, uh, uh, in the church we meeting at that time, the police were stopping every young black man. So the white folks felt guilty about that. But when the African-American confronted them, they said, sorry, but how to deal with the system, how to change a system that will not occur has not been addressed. So that is, that is the sixth stage. So in every stage, people come in and out. So uh, it is a cycle, and that the cycle of reconciliation that we have developed as a result of really trial and errors, failures, success, and, and until we found out what's really worked, and also looking into other models in academic circles, other places, in order to understand that. So the unique things of Musawah that willing to deal with those deep issues. Most 
peace organization want to keep it on until recently on the level of uh, Kumbaya, hallelujah stage. Let's come together. Let's praise the Lord together. Have a nice barbecue. Then you go, you go to your neighborhood, other side of the highway, and we stay in our suburb. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that whole stage, that whole process. And I think that's so important to recognize how important each piece of that process is, you know, for the individuals um, participating. And I'm just curious, this is like a small thing, but the desert that you're referring to, is that somewhere else? Is that in Jordan or where do you take them? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. For many years, uh, we have used uh, Wadi Ram in Jordan. Uh, uh, that is one of the most beautiful deserts in the world. Is You can check it on Google. It's UNESCO protected. It's a red sandstone. If you saw the movie Lawrence of Arabia, this is where they did the movie. Wow. So we go there to the desert. We stay really deep in the desert in Bedouin tent. This uh, Nobody's around. And one day we ride the camels and we cross the desert on the camels. And we spend a lot of time learning from the quietness of the desert to begin to listen to ourselves, to the others, and to God. That's really important. We need quietness to do that. The exercise of listening is very important. The ability to listen to the other side. We don't want to listen. We want to argue. Then we do we do hiking, we do jeeps, and we talk about the history of the desert. And, you know, the desert is a place where the formation of the people of Israel. You need to remember when they came out of Egypt, this is right now, is Passover and Easter. They came as slave-minded people. They needed to transform from slave into servanthood to God and to people. And that's the difference. Most people want to become masters after being slaves. This is a temptation. So this is the reason God said, remember, you're a stranger in Egypt. Don't be master. I called it to be light and blessing to other people. So um, so the desert is, is for Jews, for Muslims, for Christians, have uh, immense spiritual uh, uh, heritage and richness. Uh, and also, we, to be honest with you, it's work. Mm-hmm. It did work. And the people that went first time with us in the 90s are friends until today. Some people. we You see... Um, Reconciliation is not coming to solve the world problem. Reconciliation is something that we need to be as agent of God in history. Mm. History is God is God is doing the work of reconciliation. We are joining what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And also we need to understand uh, Musal has kind of small organization. The, the challenge before us, like in the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire, the most powerful army in the world, the religious, political, economic leadership of the temple that opposed Jesus. So from, from the perspective, people ask me, why are you doing it? I said, from Jesus' perspective, when he confronts those powers, he didn't have any chance. But look back. Who we worship, Pontius Pilate? Which which name 
and who is the king of the world and which name that change history and which people change history. And so we need to understand also that reconciliation is not to be the one that's running the, the country, the people. It's not to be the dominant, is to come to bless people and to be source of healing to people. So uh, our Christianity have been influenced quite a bit from our colonial heritage of domination. Mm-hmm. And we lose. When you want to dominate, you lose. When you when if you hold the sword of the Roman Empire, you will be killed by it. The the cross of Jesus that what brings life. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's uh, it's very true. I think um, if we're following the example of Jesus, his example was to uh, put on the clothing of a servant and get on his knees and wash feet. It's power. It's not the power over. It's power under. Um, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for pointing that out. So, uh, I would like to emphasize that uh, we work, as I said, uh, our our work between come many times come the questions. Uh, so, so what happened with people that doesn't have common faith? So we are amazed right now the number of Israeli Jews from many sectors. Uh, that knows that we are faith-based organization and Palestinian Muslim coming to us. They, I mean, in the last 10 years, uh, there was a shift, major shift in, in our ministry from uh, faith community in Jesus into the largest society. And there are many reasons for that. Uh, among the other people, faith, of course, with, with them, uh, we talk about Abrahamic moral values that there are exists in all faith and all religion. And and those and what we found out, it really speaks to the people. It really uh, makes them interest. Uh, it, it's really a place that we can start with. So if you take, for example, Romans chapter 12, Paul talk about our renewal of the mind, the individual their love among the brethren. Then he said, be a blessing to all. And and our calling is to the world, not to the church. Uh-huh. And, and many people are inward looking. Jesus did not say to us, go to the church. He said, go to the world. Uh-huh. And bless people. Attend to the poor. Attend to the needy. Attend to the oppressed. Uh, and in many places, our Christianity is a Christianity that oppresses people, not liberating people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when I uh, when we have the most insightful spiritual discussion I had is with Muslims and Jews. They were asking questions that we like. For example. One Muslim said, asked me a question after two days in the desert. He said, okay, you are here. We become friends. Uh, so what do you say about politics? What do you say about justice? He didn't say how I'm going to be saved. He was asking different questions that related to his area. So we assume 
that other people want to be like us and we want to invite them to our club that they look like us, dress like us and play golf like us and eat the same food and all of that. And that's not really it. I mean, they have better food. Yes. (laughs) And and they're so rich, so beautiful. And you learn so much. You see, uh, many, many Christians feel and think, if I'm engaged with Jews and Muslims, I'm going to compromise on my tenet of my faith. And that's false. By meeting the other, your faith becomes, an identity becomes stronger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we found out. And, and you meet all the time. Well, so what about this? What about that? And I said to him, our 30 years experience it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. The discovery of God, the Savior, working where we are not there. He is there. And God is not dependent on us, too. And God is good God. He wants to bless all humanity, all people. And he's calling us to join him. Mm. (laughs) That's beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. that. Yeah. Well, Salim, uh, how can people find out more about the work of Masalaha and um, and support what you're doing and learn more about um, how they can yeah. be a part of it? You can go to our website, musalaha.org, M-U-S-A-L-H-A.org, musalaha.org. You can put that also as a link. And you'll find on our website a lot of information, a lot of things uh, that can help you. But also, uh, we have literature in English that we have published. Um, uh, we have several books that present different perspectives in same books. Like Theology of the Land, we put three perspectives. Uh, there is a book that I've written with Israeli lady called Through My Enemy Eyes that presents a different historical narrative. It's an excellent book. Um, because I have written it, of course, uh, <laughs> and the uh, journey through the storm. And one of the things that we are doing right now, we uh, have been asked by many people around the world uh, is to take this model first and to attempt it, to try it with other people group. It's work. And we found out it's working. Even uh, one uh, friend of ours took the model to Manchester, to work between UK to work between Muslims and Christian, and he did he did his PhD and he showed how this model is working in other countries around the world. One of our board member, uh, she's working right now in Sudan uh, as midwife, and she said she's amazed in southern Sudan. She met people that knows Musalha, heard about Musalha, and she was sharing about that. So. We want to transfer all this curriculum that is 24 lesson into uh, internet, into digital, into uh, videos. So this is a, a place that we will ask you if you can pray for us and support us in, in putting it. As uh, recently I've been asked to uh, be the coordinator for World Evangelical Alliance on the Peace and Reconciliation Middle East and North Africa. So uh, it's so exciting. Why right? it's so exciting for me? because um, uh, evangelical church right now, sadly to say, have very bad reputation in the Middle East. Very yeah. bad reputation. Yeah. We are not, cons- it, it is in, in many circles, many evangelical are embarrassed to call themselves evangelical. Yeah. Yes. And 
you know better the U.S. Scenario, what's happening in the state, and 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 so I'm so excited because the World Evangelical Alliance are putting peace and reconciliation that is the central of the gospel as one of the most important things that you they want to pursue and see uh, happen all uh, around the world and especially in the Middle East and uh, North Africa. But brothers and sisters, reconciliation, it's not for us, the Middle East, because we have wars in the last hundred and something years. Brothers and sisters, uh, the conflict is, is in, in our homes, your homes, my homes, in the church. And our heart here in the Middle East is breaking to see what's going on Uh the militancies, the militancy of the, the supremacy, uh, and how uh, the essence of the gospel that come to bless people become an instrument for different political agendas. Yeah. So the reason I'm with you is not is to say through the years, especially the American church and American friends of Musalha, blessed us immensely. And those 30 years would develop something that we want to bless you back, to give it to you. We want to have a, we are brothers and sisters. It's not like somebody is weak and depend on somebody that have. We all, one body, need to share our pain. We need to share our lessons and blessing to each other. So also on our website, you can find uh, 501, uh, what, you know, in the U.S., uh, we have Reconciliation Ministry in Washington State, that is our sister organization where people can be in touch, can support and get tax deduction and all of that. So we cherish your your prayer. We, uh, I'll be hopefully, if we'll be able to travel, I'll be going to Colorado this year, fall, in order to train 20 pastors in an area of reconciliation. So if you have churches, organization that want to learn about our curriculum, we are more than willing. And more than anything else, uh, Keith, and also for you um, uh, to, um, to hear about that, um, Daniel started uh, the Jerusalem Academy. The Jerusalem Academy is, uh, the purpose of it is to give people from around the world the opportunity to come for a month to Jerusalem where they will have a week learning about uh, Jerusalem from Jewish perspective and their inner conflict and their conflict with Muslims and, and, and Christians. Then we have week of Muslim, week of Christian, different model of reconciliation because Jerusalem is like Los Angeles. Jerusalem is like Washington, Washington D.C., multi-ethnic, multi-religious. Uh, so instead of us running to the suburbs, to our ghettos, our Christian ghettos, separate ourselves from the society, come to Jerusalem where all those things happen and, and be, to learn to be exposed about that. So in a minute you are able to fly and if you... If you are 10, 11 people from a church, from an organization that want to come to, um, to do a training, uh, want to be trained, come over. As a matter of fact, we developed this program as a request of Tel Aviv University for their master program, Conflict Resolution. 
We're de developing also a relationship with Pepperdine that they would like to send their conflict resolution students to come. So from Virginia to California, you're welcome to Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, Salim, I, I love I love so much uh, your heart. I love the work that you're doing. I, I, I also appreciate your comment about how um, sometimes, you know, uh, American Christians, they, we have this blind spot, you know. We, like you said, we think that, oh, yes, these – there's so much conflict over there in the Middle East and uh, uh, those people over there, they need to figure out how to solve their internal conflicts. Uh, but we're, we're blind to the fact that uh, in America, uh, even, even among Christians, there is conflict, uh, as you said, over this tribalism, uh, mm -hmm. uh, political tribalism, religious tribalism. There is still so much division even within the body of Christ here in America that we, we need to address that. We need to learn how to do that. So there's so much we could learn from from you and the work that you guys have been doing. I love that you are freely sharing that and uh, you put all that into books and trainings. And um, and I would encourage anyone to look into that because I think there is so much that we can learn from you and incredible work you've been doing there. Well, we need to remember as it's Easter time and we call it Pascha, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is game changer in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. And the language of the gospel is the language of the book of Genesis, the new creation. Something new is happening. God is doing something new. So people ask me, you look in the politics. Yes, look, the politics, awful, terrible. You look at the situation. But in the midst of all of that, in the pain of the world, God is creating community of people that are different. And this community uh, calling is not position of power. This is no male and female. There's no Greek, barbarian, Roman, and Jew. There is, yes, there is categories. I am a man and you're a woman and you're American and I'm Palestinian, Christian, Israeli. Yes, that's categories is very important. But we are equal yes. in position privilege, and calling. Mm -hmm. And that was revolution in the time of Paul. Mm -hmm. And that need to go back because in my country, the level of racism is so high. Mm -hmm. The level of racial and religious superiority of adhering mm -hmm. uh, 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 to, propagating, uh, doing policy on that level, uh, it is really something that we need to stand and work uh, in order to challenge it and to change the course. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Lee. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Salim. Um, I, I really love Salim. I, um, he's someone that I came across several years ago when someone, a friend of mine, shared with me a documentary where Salim is interviewed and he's, he's one of the featured people in the, in the documentary. Um, it's called With God on Our Side and I think it's even available on YouTube. Um, it's really wonderful because it, it is one of those rare documentaries that literally does interview both sides on this Palestinian-Israeli you know, conflict situation you hear from Christians who really take a very strong pro-Israel 
sort of the Christian Zionist position and people like John Hagee mm-hmm. and people like this, um, mm-hmm. kind of giving their side of the story. But then they also interview Palestinian Christians like Salim. Yeah, he's just someone That's that so really, great. really inspires me. And, you know, if nothing else, I think the most powerful thing for me in that documentary was the realization that um, when we talk about Palestine, we're not talking about, you know, uh, predominantly or, or, or mainly or only Muslims. Um, I think we've, we've, if we do, we've bought into this, um, I don't know what you want to call it. Is it propaganda? Is it accidental? Is it intentional? I don't know. But I know that I, know that, um, I used to certainly, anytime I flipped on the news, and I saw a story about Israel and Palestine and the conflict going on, in my mind, I've had two categories and two boxes. Israel equals the Jews, God's chosen people. They're the good guys. Palestine, those must be the Muslims and the bad guys, right? The terrorists, right? I think I would think terrorist, Islam, right. you know, Muslim terrorist. Um, and of course now, thank God, I don't think that way anymore. But a big part of that was someone like Salim, uh, who helped me understand that, when we're talking about Palestine, we see those kinds of stories. What we should really be thinking is, well, here's here's the nation of Israel, the, the Jewish people on, uh, on one side, which is really a secular Jewish state, if we would be honest. Right. Um, and right. and then Palestine, which is a mixture of uh, Christians who have been there since the Book of Acts mm-hmm. uh, for two thousand years, a Christian, a strong Christian community in Palestine, and Muslims who are not predominantly you know, terrorists. They're just everyday, ordinary people like the rest of us, just trying to live their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, right. I think that, for me, was like super helpful. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think that's really an important point to bring up because I actually only recently learned that there are also Palestinian Christians living in Gaza. Mm-hmm. I think I mostly assumed that all the all of the Palestinians living in Gaza were Muslim, but there's actually a group of at least a thousand, I think, Greek Orthodox um, Christians. But I, I think I love this point that you're bringing up about, you know, who are the Israeli people? Who are the Palestinian people? Because we do get these kind of, um, I think, twisted perceptions from mainstream media that doesn't really give us a full picture of, um, of who's living there and who's, engaged in you know what's happening on the ground and what their lived experiences are because we do kind of have these narratives of you know well we have to support Israel no matter what as Christians because they're God's chosen people and this is their land but like you're saying when you learn there are Christians living in the West Bank Christians living in Gaza it's like well those are our brothers and sisters in Christ too and so how do we engage with them. Um, and I just wanted to share this because I found, I found it so interesting when I was in Jerusalem, um, in 2019, I learned that, um, that most Israeli Jews actually are not very friendly towards American Christians. And the reason is that they understand our, our goal for them is for all the Jews to come back to the, the homeland so that the apocalypse will come right. <laughs> and basically kill all of yes. them. So, so they're like, why would I want you to like support us if you're only supporting us so that the apocalypse will come and we'll eventually be yeah. killed? Um, so I think that's really interesting because a lot of Christians don't realize like what 
how Jews perceive us or what our relationship is with them or what their desires are for, um, for Christian relationships. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's really admirable what Salim is doing with trying to bring people together for dialogue and relationship, um, across those divisions because it's really, um, I'm thinking of this song by a band called The Brilliance, and <laughs> if you'll just let me share real quick, but it's um, <laughs> this lyric that says, um, when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. And I think that's so powerful because even if you have this group of people that's oppressing you, can you go out into the desert with that person and look them in the face and say, I see that you are, you are created in the image of God. You are like me and that you're, you're a fellow human being and I can love you because I see that you're my brother, even though you have been an enemy to me. And I think that is, I know there's so much more at play. There's structural oppression. There's so many power dynamics at play. But I think that um, this kind of people-to-people peacemaking is also, it's just as crucial as changing, like, the larger situation on the ground. Because even if you you were to change um, kind of the larger things contributing towards oppression or violence or conflict, um, if people aren't able to reconcile at the relational level, then you're not going to have a holistic piece um, on the other side of that. So yeah, just my little soapbox. That's beautiful. I totally love that. And I think, you know, uh, there's sort of two two parts to the uh, discussion. And I think you're you're wise to move us in this this other secondary direction, which is probably more important. Because one one part of the of the discussion when it comes to the Israel and the Palestine sort of conversation or debate is a little bit of the history and who's right and who's wrong and um, you know that kind of a thing and and whereas um, it's very important of course that we do our best to understand uh, both sides of the equation right let's 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 not only look at sort of the Israel's side of the story. Let's also take time to look at the Palestinian side of the story. Uh, let's also take time to understand the suffering endured by the Palestinian Christian community that's been there forever and how the, our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering under what's happening right. there between kind of caught in the middle, right? And so um, mm-hmm. so that that is important. But the problem, if, if that's all you do, if all you do is sort mm-hmm. of listen to this side of the story and that side of the story, you, what you end up doing is in, in, you end up choosing one over the other and justifying, well, this is why Israel has the right to defend itself and therefore, you know, blow up buildings and, and uh, erase whole communities or even, you know, build on the land because it's their land and they're the chosen people. Or to go the other way and say, well, no, the Palestinians are the victim here. They're the ones that are being oppressed. Therefore, they have the right to shoot rockets and, you know, do suicide bombings mm-hmm. and all those things because they're right. And and so we don't right. want to. That's the wrong way of, of, of taking that information. We don't want to. We don't want to educate ourselves so that we can justify the violence mm-hmm. of either side. It really should just be to right. understand a little bit. You know, put ourselves in the shoes of both. Uh, you know, both sides of it, so we can understand it. However, the most important thing is to do, as you said, 
to follow the example of Salim and others in, who are there, um, who are saying, yes, this is the situation, and yes, both sides have good points. Um, yes, both sides have made mistakes. Um, yes, it's a very complicated um, topic. However, unless we then say, starting today, here's what we're going to do about moving towards reconciliation. We're going to take these steps towards peace. Um, then we'll never get anywhere. And I think, um, you know, another narrative that I think is important to unpack is this idea that Palestinian Christians are like facing persecution from Palestinian Muslims, because maybe that's true in some cases, but my, I mean, when I was, I was living in a city in the North of West Bank called, called, Oh, I can't talk, called Tulkarim, um, and was living among Palestinian Christians and Muslims. And we were attending a church in Nablus, um, an Anglican church. And the pastor there, who is Palestinian Christian, we actually interviewed him to ask him about what is what is what are his relationships like with the Muslim leaders in the city. Um, and he explained that because they are one people group that is experiencing systemic oppression under Israeli occupation, that they actually have very peaceful relationships with each other, that it's, yeah, like it's almost like a unifying factor of, hey, we're all under, you know, experiencing this. So I think that's important too, because I also wouldn't want to place like Palestinian Christians on a higher level of like, you know, we should only care about them and, you know, not care about all Palestinians. But I do think it creates, um, yeah, it does. It definitely makes a difference when you learn that there's a more diverse group living there than, than we probably realize. Yeah. And I I think, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, for me, the realization that there were Palestinian Christians in Palestine, what it helped me to, uh, to recognize is that you know, <clears throat> I don't know, I guess for me, it was sort of like, I felt a little guilty because like, I felt like to that point, mm-hmm. I had just, um, you know, with a blank check, just said, if it, Israel is God's chosen people and we have to bless Israel and anything they do is justified. And, you know, and, and then, uh, then I had suddenly the realization that, oh my gosh, my sort of carte blanche um, blessing Israel for anything, the the state of Israel for anything they were doing against Palestine, I suddenly realized, well, what I'm doing is blessing uh, a a, a secular government that is sending their military to bomb the homes of my Christian brothers and sisters. I mean, again, not that I shouldn't care about Muslims. Of course I, I, I do. But it's like I had no idea that it was to that level, right? That it was like, and I think most yeah. American Christians don't have an understanding of that. They don't have a, rec- a, a realization of that. Um, I mean, absolutely, we should, we we should, and we do uh, have compassion for Muslims that are suffering. I and mean, even if it was just Muslims, we would be. This is not good, right? Right. They, they don't right. deserve right. to be treated this way at all. And um, right. but yeah, just having that that extra layer of understanding for me was like, what is really going on here? Like it, it helped to reframe what was happening there uh, as a struggle, not merely between Jews and Muslims, but between Jews and Christians. And I think, you know, what you were saying earlier about kind of under having limited understandings of who the Palestinian people are is, 
um, is something that we face. Cause I, I feel like the, the media tells us like they're either terrorists or they're yep. victims, but <laughs> like I worked with the museum here in DC run by a Palestinian man, um, Bashar Nassar, who grew up in Bethlehem on a farm and his family is Christian. And he created this museum to, to display Palestinian arts and culture and to show that they're a group of people that has a thriving culture, has thriving art, has, you know, they're not just what you see in the media. Like they are people and they have lives and they have longings and desires and careers and, you know, like, and dreams. And I think it just helps to humanize a people group that we tend to see as only terrorists yeah. or victims, yeah. you know? And so anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah there, there is such a complicated issue, you know, Becca, and you and I were talking earlier before we recorded, you know, that, um, that we both struggle sometimes to have these conversations with, you know, friends and family members, you know, because I, I have friends and family members who are on both sides of this discussion. Mm -hmm. And, um, and certainly on social media, it's even more difficult. We have to get, we have to get to the place of saying, what are the paths of peace? What can we do to bring peace in these situations? Yeah. Right. There are, there's a cost yes. to all of this violence and it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's really awful and it's grave and it's, um, these people are living through this and how can we, how can we promote peace? In, in many ways it shouldn't be Palestinians or uh, Israelis or Christians or Muslims or Jews they're just human beings, you know. Mm -hmm. when, when a child dies yeah. in, in, in the crossfire of, the, of this violence, uh, when whole families mm -hmm. are killed because a, a, an apartment block is destroyed, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're just people. They're just human beings. Right. And uh, right. our, our goal should be to see one another this way. To not, mm -hmm. and, and, and especially as outsiders, here we are in America looking, on the outside looking in, uh, to just see... Mm -hmm. People made in the image of God, who are loved by both sides, dearly loved by God, um, who are doing violence to one another. Um, you know, the desire should be to see the end of that and to bring reconciliation to that. So, again, I, I really applaud what Salim is doing. Uh, and I guess if you feel helpless and hopeless, you know, maybe look into what he's doing there at Musalaha and uh, help them, you know, do more of what they're trying to do to bring, uh, to bring reconciliation in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a great point. One of the, the best things we can do is uplift and empower and donate to those who are, are doing this work on the ground and those who, who live there and have grown up there, were born there. Um, and that's such a great point you're making about us because we do have an outside perspective. And yet as Americans, we are, involved in this, whether we want to be or not, because of the U.S. relationship with Israel and um, how our tax dollars are contributing to what's happening on the ground. So I think it is really important for us to lean in and listen and learn and, and take it upon ourselves to, to figure out how we can contribute towards peace and justice. In the land. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Spotify. And for more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work, please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org.